0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Troubles, his family troubles and troubles with other people. It seems like his whole life was beset with troubles. Unfortunately, he's a man who somehow overcame all his troubles and retained his confidence and his positivity till the end. It was very hard. We're going to see it. The, the, The later part of his life was even more troubling than probably the earlier part of his life. But it was amazing that he retained his positivity and retained his ability to praise Hashem and thank Hashem until the end of his life. So I want to talk a bit about, number one, is the greatness of David Amirah, because people don't really realize how great he was. Obviously, he's the progenitor of the Mashiach or the Messianic line. He must have been very great. Plus, he was the only king that God promised that all his descendants would also be kings till the end of time. So he must have been especially A very great personality. We have no idea what kind of greatness he was. Uh, We do know that he was very humble. Um, He was very kind. He was very righteous. But we're going to talk a bit about it. Um, The Gemara brings down uh, that four people died because of the advice of the snake. It's a very strange Gemara. Uh, This is Gemara in Shabbat, uh, page 55B. And also in 17A, four people died because of the advice of the snake, which is a very strange uh, Gemara. What does that mean, the advice of the snake? So the rabbis explain they didn't die because of their sins, they died because of the sin of Adam and Eve. They didn't die because of their own sins, they died because of the sins of Adam and Eve. And that is number one, is Benjamin, the son of Jacob, Jacob's son Benjamin. Benjamin was not part of the saint of Joseph, he was a righteous individual till the end. And he was such a righteous individual. He was one of the four righteous individuals who did not die because of their own sins. Number two, Amram, the father of Moshe. We don't have much in the Torah about Amram. We do know about his illustrious children. Moshe, Miriam, Aaron, they were illustrious. And obviously they came from a very good stock. Amram was a Sadiq, it says, unrivaled Sadiq. These four tzaddikim were unrivaled in history that they did not die because of their own sins. They died because of the sin of Adam and Eve, that they caused death to come to the world. So as we don't believe in original sin. We don't believe in this concept of original sin. We believe that God punished mankind because of the sin of Adam and Eve. that he ate from the fruit, whatever it was, and uh, death came into the world. That's how death entered the world. So everyone has to die. That's what we believe. We believe everyone has to die. And these four great ones did not die because of their own sins. They died because they had to die because of what Adam did. So we have to die. So human beings have to die. That's the end of man. So Binyamin, the son of Yaakov, Benjamin, Jacob's son, very big tzaddik. Amram, the father of Moshe, number two, did not have any sins of his own. And Yishai, the father of David, Yishai, Jesse, the Yishai, the famous Yishai, the father of Jesse, uh, father of David who was an innocent individual all the way to his death. He never had any major sins to die for. And number, th- number four is interesting because it's also related to David and Melech. the son of Abigail, who is David's wife. So David's son, Chilab, I think it was number three. Chilab also was, he died not because of his own sins. He was innocent and he died because of the mistake of Adam and Eve, and they ate the fruit, and they caused death to the world. They brought death to the world. So it's interesting, four innocent people, the rabbis say, four innocent people lived in this world. Number one, let's just recap, Benjamin, Benjamin, the son of Yaakov, Jacob's son, Amram, the father of Moshe, Moses, Ishai, the father of David, Jesse, the father of David, and Chilab, the son of David, who not many people know about Chilab, right? So there's four great people who lived, never sinned. So now it's very interesting. So we know that Adam, Adam, before his sin, he would live forever. And Hashem says, the day you will eat the, the fruit, you'll die. And instead of dying on the same day, Hashem gave him a thousand years of life. That's that's God's day. They say God's day is a thousand years. A thousand years are like one day in your eyes. Okay, so that's a pasuk in Tehilim. And uh, through his sin, he, caused, he brought death into the world. And the four people did not die from their own sins. They died because of this idea that death was brought into the world. And the question we have is, are they the highest? Is that the highest level a human being can achieve? For a person not to die for their own uh, sins, but to die because of this uh, blemish that Adam caused in the world. So, and the answer is, the Gemara says, no. That's not the highest level. Being innocent... Being great, the greatness of a righteous person of innocence is not as great as a person who sinned and does teshuva. A Baal Teshuva, a person who sins and tastes the sin and refrains from it and does teshuva, which is a very high level of uh, repentance, is greater than at Sadiq A person with Baal Teshuva is greater than at uh, Pasuk in Isaiah. Isaiah says, Shalom, Shalom, la rachok la karov Amar Hashem. Isaiah says, peace, peace to those who are far and those who are near. From there, the rabbis say, who are those who are far? People are coming from far away to Hashem. These are Baal A so Baal is greater. Hashem says, peace to the bal Before you, say, he says, peace to the righteous person. Why? The righteous person is coming to God from close by. The Baal is coming to God from far away. It's like you go to a wedding, you invite people to your wedding and you find uh, people, your relatives who came from far away, and relatives who came from around the corner. Who would you greet first? And the answer is you greet those who came from far away. They expended money, they spent time, they put more effort into coming. They should be the ones to get the warmer greeting. So Hashem greets those who came from far away. Who are they? The Baal And that's why it says David Amelach. That's the greatness of King David. King David was a Baal Shuba. Now, we have to understand, we're going to talk about this one of our next classes. as Hashem after Pesach. Um, David and Batsheba, we have talked about, that's one of the famous stories. We have to be very careful we talk about it. Um, there's a lot of different commentaries, different angles to this story, very complicated, complicated story. And the Gemara says that Hashem allowed King David to sin with Batsheba. This is a Gemara in Abu page 4A to 4B. The Gemara says, imagine, Hashem allowed him to sin with Batsheba to teach us the possibilities of Teshuvah. To teach us the possibilities of Teshuvah. Teach us the power of repentance. Teach the Jewish people. That King David serves as an example for us. Of a Baal teshuva. David al Melech was the classic Baal teshuva. And in the book of Samuel. In, chap, uh, in Samuel 2 chapter 23 verse 1. He is called Hukam Al. He is called Hukam Al. The rabbis explain he was lifted on high. He raised the yoke of repentance. He was lifted on high, gave an example. Okay, so that's number one. Why is David greater than these four individuals who were totally innocent when they died? And the answer is he's a Baal Teshuvah. Teshuvah is great in their own right. Number two, the rabbis tell us that David HaMelech was not endowed with good traits from his birth. David HaMelech says when Shmuel Abi came to anoint one of the sons of Yushai sees David with ruddy cheeks. Now, ruddy cheeks, there's only two people we know in Tanakh who had ruddy cheeks. One of them was Esav, and the other one was David. So interesting, Esav and David. Ruddy cheeks, what does ruddy cheeks signify? The rabbis tell us ruddy cheeks symbolize a murderer. Two people had the power, inbred power of murderers. They were murderers from birth. You know, Esau, he, just, he fulfilled his destiny. He was a murderer from birth. I didn't say he was a destiny, but he was inbred into him. And from the birth, he had this ruddy features of blood. And he was a symbol of a man of blood, Edom. And they called him Edom redness. And David HaMelech also was red. He was, uh, so if you look at the, at the narrative that describes David, it's also similar to Esau. We find the rabbis tell us that when, uh, when Shmuel saw David, he was taken aback. He says, gosh. He's red. Esau was red. Here's another Esau. Another murderer. Who you have? Another murderer. I'm going to appoint him as king. No way I'm going to appoint him as king until he hears the voice of God in his head. Shuel, this is the king. Appoint him. So that's what Shuel does. Shuel appoints David as king, even though he didn't really want to. He didn't think David is going to be a good king. He's going to be a murderer. The truth is, David Amelek conquered his innate tendencies. And that's the greatness of David. So number one, the greatness of David was he was about to shuba. Number two, greatness of David was... He controlled and purified his innate tendencies. And this is something that today we we find it very hard. You know, we ask, you know, how come Hashem put these tendencies in a human being? Why does he want to torture a person? And the answer is Hashem gives everyone trials in life. One of the trials we have in our lives is to control our innate tendencies. It's a tremendous, tremendous trial. And that was David Amir's trial was to control his innate tendencies and that made him higher than a person who was born righteous. It's interesting how God measures a person's righteousness is not where the person starts from, or where a person ends off. In other words, a person's born right, righteous. They had righteous parents. They're taught to be righteous. They go to shul three times a day, birth, well, hopefully, and they're learning Torah from birth. Their reward is not the same as a person who never went to shul, never learned Torah and grew into it and eventually elevated themselves so it's the elevation that a person does themselves that a person gets reward from it's not the elevation that the parents did for them that's the that's the merit of the parents so what a person starts with and what a person ends off with that is what Hashem measures so David Amela started with an innate cruel unkind personality and Hashem and he built himself up so innately he built himself up he gets tremendous reward, more than these Sadiqim. Benjamin, Binyamin, the son of uh, Yaakov, Yishai, the father of David, Amram, the father of Moshe, and Chilab, the son of David, who never had any sins. They were innocent from day one until the day of their death. And David beat them all. Why? Number one is he's a shuba Number two is he controlled his innate bad tendencies. He climbed the mountain of God, you know, he says in, in Psalm 20, 24, Hashem, who will climb the mountain of God? Well, David and Melech climbed this mountain of God. He climbed the ladder of Jacob. He was climbing up to Hashem through his own actions. And number, number three, what's the greatness of David? And this is very, very important. It's something which we have to also strive for in our lives. You know, in our lives, we all make ripples. If you can imagine this world as a ripple tank, There are people who are very evil, make tremendously bad ripples. And there are people who are righteous who make small ripples, big ripples, good ripples. What is a ripple? A ripple is something that a person does that affects other people. That's a ripple. That's the ripple effect. When I was a kid, I was learning in science, uh, a ripple tank. I was using uh, ripples to uh, show people the example of waves, right? These are waves, sound waves and other kinds of waves, electromagnetic waves. So, a ripple tank, and then a person thinks about their lives and the ripples they make in the tank, in the tank of the world. What ripples do we leave in this tank? Are we leaving good ripples, influencing other people for good, or bad ripples, bad effects on other people? So, Hashim, all of us will leave good ripples. Everything we do in this world, which is good, leaves a bad ripple. Sorry, everything we do with good leaves a good ripple. That's what David Amir did. That's the greatest of David, that he had this, uh, he was the king. He was the leader. He was the role model for the Jewish people. And he left a lot of good ripples in the tank. So he influenced a lot of people for good. So three things that raised David Amelich's level above others. Number one is he was a Baldishuva. Number two is he innately, he had a very bad personality and had bad traits. And he raised himself up himself. He grew to serve God himself. And number three is the good ripples he left of the text. So Bezrara Hashem will all have these three things. We'll learn from David HaMelech. So even though the other four were never sinned, the Gemara says they never sinned. David HaMelech did sin. He tasted the taste of sin, as Rambam says in the Choteshuvah. He tasted the taste of sin, and he refrained. And that is the greatness of David. But today I'm going to talk about David HaMelech's family troubles. But not just family troubles, but troubles he had from people in his lives. So we know from birth, his father did not consider him kosher because of stories, whatever, that that his mother fooled around. But really, she had relations with the father and the father didn't know who it was. Okay, let's not go into that too much. But um, we know that he had a bad rap from birth. David al-Melech was not considered one of Yishai's sons. And that's why Yishai sent him out in the fields to look after the sheep. Even though Yishai was a rich man, he could have hired a shepherd. He wanted to get, he considered David HaMelech as a momzer. He considered David HaMelech as a non-kosher birth. Terrible. And his brothers also, they looked down upon David. We see when David went to, to ask about who this Goliath was, and his, his brothers made a mockery of him. We know you just want the money, you want the fame, you want to marry the king's daughter. You're not doing it the Shem Shemayin. And uh, so we see that David Hamilach was looked upon Number one, by his father, by his uh, brothers in a bad light. Already, That's number one. Number two is, can you imagine how much trouble he had with his father-in-law? I would never want to have a father-in-law like King Shaul. Shaul HaMelech was the worst father-in-law you could ever have. Why? Because he tried to kill his own son-in-law. He tried to kill David many times. So can you imagine having a father-in-law like that? So he suffered tremendously with his father-in-law. He had to hide in caves. He had to hide in the mountains. He had to hide in the the, uh, deserts. Eventually, he had to run away to the team to the Philistines, the sworn enemies of the Jewish people, and they were kinder to him than his own father-in-law. Imagine, it's hard to imagine. That's the trouble he had. And then he had trouble with the major teachers of that time, <clears throat> which I'm going to talk about right now. The two major great rabbis of the time, with uh, uh, two great men called as Doeg Haedomi, Doeg the Edomites, and Achitophel, which I'm going to talk about right now. Why would they cause David so much trouble? Two of the most challenging characters in the book of Samuel are these two characters, Doeg and Achitophel. Doeg Haidomi and Achitofel both were incredible Torah scholars. In fact, Doeg was known as the Abbegin. He was the head of the Begin of, of, of uh, Shoma Melech. For many years, he played uh, leading roles in guiding the king and the nation. And yet, at the same time, the Talmud says they're evil men. These two great scholars are evil. It's amazing. How can a person be a great scholar and be evil at the same time? And the answer is, there's no contradiction. If scholarship does not affect the person, if it's just theory, the person can be evil and be a scholar at the same time. The rabbis say a person learns learns the Shema, he learns Torah and the Shema at a very high level. But a person learns lolishma, he learns it for the wrong reasons. Now, what is the worst wrong reason a person can learn Torah? And the answer is likanter. Likanter means just to make my point. I'm learning Torah in order that I want to be the best at arguments. I want to win all my arguments, not because I want to get to the truth, but because I want to win my arguments. That's likanter. I want to beat everyone else in the arguments. So that is the worst kind of learning Torah. That Torah does not affect the person. Why? Because I'm not learning Torah to affect myself. I'm not learning Torah for the musar, for the ethics I can get out of it. And that's something which we all have to do. That's a very hard thing to do. When we learn Torah, we learn the stories of Humash. It's not just learning stories about third parties. It's learning stories that say, how how can this affect me? How can this make me a better person? How can this affect my life? And we see over here that these two great learners, Talmudic scholars, The Torah did not affect him at all. You know, Rabbi Akiva says when his wife Rachel insisted that he go learn Torah, he said, "I can't learn Torah. My head is like a rock." Then he sees this uh, stream and he sees the drips of water on the rock, and the drips of water, water over thousands of years, made an impression on the rock. So he says, if the water can make an impression on the rock, the Torah can make an impression on my head and and get into my head but it's not just getting into a person's head the Torah has got to get into a person's heart and their emotions and and change their mental state for the better and that's what it takes a lot of humility to be able to do that to, to learn Torah and say how does this apply to me how can I apply the Torah to myself how can I make myself a better person I want to get closer to Hashem well a person can learn Torah without these motives, I don't want to be a better person I want, to, I want to be the best person in terms of my arguments I want to be the head of the Jewish people but I don't want to be the best person, I don't to be close to God I want to be the ruler, I want to be the governor, Okay, that's what happened with these two, they had evil intentions from the beginning of their Torah learning, imagine it's so hard to understand the The Talmud says the same thing about Elisha ben Abuya, who is known as Akhir, that there were, there were four people who entered the Pardes the Gemara says, four people, four great rabbis entered Paradis. They started learning Kabbalah. They got into meditative states. And Elisha ben Abuya went and became an apostate. He saw, he saw two gods. What do you mean he saw two gods? How can you see two gods? And the answer is, his Torah was not pure from the beginning. That's what the Talmud says. It says his Torah was not pure from the beginning. Either he was learning Greek philosophy as well as Torah and the Greek philosophy... Uh, influenced him more than the Torah did or it says when his father at his birth, when he celebrated his Brit he saw the t- Torah scholars and the fire came from heaven around them and he said I want my son to be a Torah scholar, that's the honor of Torah scholars, I want my son to be a Torah scholar just for the honor, not for the fact that he's going to change himself and make himself, raise up himself and that's the problem, that's the that Doeg and achitofel they didn't learn Torah to make themselves better, they learned Torah for their own nefarious purposes. It's interesting, a person can learn to be a naval. Naval, the Torah, the Ramban says a person can be disgusting and keep the whole Torah and be disgusting. What does that mean? Well, you can eat kosher food to an excess and eat it in a disgusting way. So it's kosher? Yeah, it's kosher. But he's over exceedingly excess. Excess is naval. A person can trick and cheat and yet Stay within the law. Uh, I know someone like that, but I'm dealing with it right now, unfortunately. But a crook and a cheat, and he can persuade the in that he's right. He, has the, he knows all the tricks of the trade. knows all the arguments. That was Doeg and Ahitophel. Those are the two. Doeg and Ahitophel. The Midrash says, you know what David Amarach said about Ahitophel? The Midrash says, David said to Doeg, you who are mighty, rich, and the head of the Sanhedrin engage in evil and speak evil. If a man sees his fellow at the edge of a pit and pushes him in, is that might? Rather, a man is called mighty when he grasps the other person's hand to prevent him to fall or lifts the fallen man from the pit. In other words, Stoed, you are a great man, you are a rich man, you are a mighty man, and yet you speak evil, you speak Lakshonara, you see a man at the edge of the pit, and instead of pulling him out, putting him away, you push him into the pit. That's Dohik. And David HaMelech is the one who's talking about himself. He says, I was at the edge of the pit. I was the son-in-law of King Saul, and you turned my father-in-law against me with your Lashon You turned him against me to push me in the pit to kill the effect. And uh, so that was... When when you saw that Shaul, King Saul, was angry at me, you persisted in calling me names and speaking bad about me. Why do you pride yourself with evil, you mighty warrior? Is that how a man does the kindness of God all day long? This is the Midrash Socher Tov. It's a Midrash on Tehillim. So Midrash Socher Tov, quoting what David said to Doeg and why he said it to Doeg. uh, So Doeg was instrumental in influencing King Saul to see David as a mortal threat to his kingdom. Instead of seeing David as his biggest helper, which he was, David was fighting the wars against the Philistines and winning. And instead of doing that, he turned King Saul against David just by speaking Lashonara. So it's interesting. So here he is, the most learned person on the Sanhedrin and using bad tactics, evil tactics against David. And in fact, the Talmud says that two people never got olam It's interesting. These two. Evil men. Doeg, head of the Sanhedrin, imagine the head of the of the Sanhedrin, he used his Torah knowledge to do evil, he spoke Lashon and did other things. In fact, he was the one who killed the whole city of Gohanim, No. One evil deed led to another, and he has no portion of the world to come. The second one was Achitofel. Achitofel was interesting. Achitov was the grandfather of Batsheva, which we're going to talk about in one of the coming classes, David of Batsheva, very interesting, very difficult uh, talk, talk to give. And Achitov was the grandfather of Batsheva, and after David did the deed with Batsheva, Achitov, the grandfather, was very upset with David, as you can imagine. And Achitophel hated David as well. And uh, Achitophel could not accept the fact that David did the Shubh. Achitophel could not accept this fact that his, this now this new bro, uh, son-in-law of his, it's interesting how yeah, the two people who hated David the most were father-in-laws, uh, Shaul and achitofel Ahitophel, also his, fa- his grandfather-in-law, also hated David, and uh, the Mishpitzot Zahav. He says that achitofel despite his great Torah knowledge, could not grasp the true power of Teshuvah. And this explains achitofel's actions at the end of his life. Achitophel advises David's son, Absalom to rebel against David and to have David killed as soon as possible. Kill him as soon as possible because if you don't kill him now, he's going to be a thorn in your side and he'll kill you. So you can you imagine? That's how much he hated David. He tells David's son, Absalom That's his advice. His best advice was kill David as soon as possible. Uh, what happened was Absalom did not take uh, Achitophel's advice, Baruch Hashem. And, and David eventually uh, had uh, uh, shalom was killed, unfortunately, by Joab, which we have to talk about. Another another problem in David's life was Joab, who was his own general and his own cousin, his own nephew. Joab was David's nephew. Another pain in David's neck. And Akitofa knew the rebellion would be defeated. So when uh Shalom does not kill David straight away. Achidophel goes and commits suicide. That was the end of Achidophel. So again, we have these two great characters who became enemies of David. Terrible. All their greatness, all their learning of Torah. They never internalize it. There's a lot of people like that. Unfortunately, people have some loans Torah. They know Torah. They know all the secrets of the Torah, but they don't internalize. It doesn't make them a better person. It doesn't make them a nicer person. It doesn't make them a kinder person. And that is a tremendous failure. And we see it sometimes. You see this, these failures are walking around, strutting around. Um, and I'm not going to talk anymore about that. Okay. So, okay. so let's move on to other troubles in David's life. His wife Michal. Now, his wife Michal was a tremendous sedeket. She was the daughter of King Saul, and it was it was an extreme of one of her good traits. Now, it's interesting how Rambam talked about it, Very, very important. Rambam. Everyone, every Jew should learn El And I think one of the biggest mistakes we make in high school is we don't teach and learn El Chodeiot or the Rambam, the laws of character traits. These are these are amazing. I wish. I wish I learned this when I was a kid. Uh, I had to wait till I was 23, 24 and find it, discover it for myself. Thank God I discovered it. The Rambam Chodiyo talks about how to perfect one's character traits. And he says that. And the Bildegaon also agrees. Bildegaon also says this is one of the major um, things that a person has to achieve in their life. The purpose of life is to perfect our character traits because our character traits are who we are. We are our character traits. And it says, even after death, person dies, the character traits they achieved in this world are the same character traits they'll achieve in the next world. You can't change the character traits in the next world. So it's very, very, very critical to change one's character traits to perfect one's character traits. In this world, because... It can't be done in the next one. So Bezra HaShem to be a nice person, to be an easygoing person. It's very hard to be easygoing, forgive and forget, to be a happy person, to be a, a generous person. These are the character traits that HaShem wants from us. How do we know? Because those are the 13 attributes that Moshe Rabbeinu gave HaShem. Not because HaShem has attributes, but because He wants us to copy those attributes. So we have to try and copy those attributes. And one of the tremendous attributes of Kik's soul. Was the character trait of modesty. Shaul Hamelech was the most modest person around. What do you mean modesty? So, different kinds of modesty. There's modesty in dress, and that's what I'm referring to. King Saul was modest, uh, if you forgive me, in the bathroom. He would cover himself from tip to toe and try and you know just go to the bathroom like that. I don't know how he succeeded without dirtying himself. Obviously, not allowed to dirty himself. And his daughter, Michal, Fitted that mold. She was so concerned about her personal modesty, she would not bear even a foot and a leg and a toe. And yet, when David Hamelech is accompanying the Ark of God to Yushalayim, you can imagine they're bringing the Ark of God from Kiryat Yarim, today is tellstone If you go outside, it's on the mountains outside Jerusalem. And they're bringing it back to Jerusalem. David Hamelech built a beautiful. Uh, um, tent, unfortunately just a tent he wasn't allowed to build a temple and he built a tent bringing the Ark of God into his new capital city of Israel, Jerusalem, New Shalayim. and uh, he's dancing and he's singing and there's an orchestra playing all the Levima play, playing with the instruments and he's dancing and singing like crazy in front of God and his wife Michal sees him and she sees his cloak is going above the ground he's showing everyone his feet and she goes to greet him and she says, you're like a tramp. You're like one of these worthless peoples of Israel jumping around in front of everyone. you showing all the women your legs. And who do you think you are? Um, and uh, my, my father, the king, Shaul, would never have done this this uh, disgusting display of, of cheapness. And David says, well, <laughs> that's the difference between me. <laughs> that's why I'm the king and he's not the king. In other words, in front of God, there's humility going to be humble in front of God. There's no show in front of God. There's something which we have to, you know, realize today. That's a person who is worried about their own pride, like on Simchat Torah, they don't dance because oh my pride, I can't dance on Simchat Torah, I can't dance in front of the public. So that's what the Rambam says. The Rambam says, before God there is no pride. Before God, so if the modesty is from pride, even if the modesty wasn't from pride, but she was just so modest, she just couldn't envisage. Dancing in front of God. So, what's more important, person God? No, dancing in front of God is number one. It's it's in other words, I'm sub, I'm um, I'm subduing myself in front of God. I'm I'm a subsidiary in front of God. I am a low person in front of God. Who am I in front of God? There's no heirs and graces. I may be the king of Israel, but in front of God, what am I? Just a, And that was David and where Shaul he was high and mighty even in front of God. He kept his uh, his uh, modesty and he kept his pride in, even in front of God. And David Amirach didn't. And that's the difference between David. Anyway, that was a little bit of uh, Musar that he got from his wife, uh, Michal. And unfortunately, uh, well, that was the only bad thing we can say about Michal. Michal saved David's life. And Shaul was looking for David and, and running after him. She put a figure in the bed. She put a kind of statue in the bed and he jumped out the window and he ran away. And when the men came, she said David is sleeping. And all along, it was a statue. and gave him a whole night to run. So she saved his life. Nothing bad about Michal, but just the difference, the trouble he had in this situation with Michal was she tried to rebuke him unnecessarily. Okay, I mean, let's move on to other people who he had trouble with was his, his nephew, Yoav, who was a tremendous help. Yoav was the general of David. And uh, despite being the general of David, sometimes Joab got on David's nerves, you know, in any close relationship. And uh, this is probably true more with a, a king and his general. I don't know. If a general, you know, a general is going to have total confidence in the king. And sometimes the general doesn't have confidence in the king. We're going to talk about this. Joab was King David's leading general. And uh, unfortunately, uh, Yoav was not uh, very easy to get along with in terms of competition, but W tried to appoint other people like Avner Benner, who was the general of Shaul and eventually became general of, of Ishboshet. Yoav killed Avner Benner. And he had a reason to kill him because Avner Benner killed his brother. Okay, it was an accident, whatever it was. But uh, then afterwards, Amishai, W the tried to uh, anoint uh, Amishai as the general. And uh, Yoav killed him as well. So Yoav was a tough character. He was a hard character. And uh, there are numerous stories and uh, Midrashim that involved Yoav. The Gemara says he was a big tzaddik. He would give tremendous hachmas He was very wealthy. He was a general, obviously a general. Um, and uh, very wealthy. And he used his money for good to, to give people food in the desert. He had tents all over providing food for people who can afford it. And very, very general, uh, very, very righteous man. Mm -hmm. This psikhtarabati says not only was he a righteous man, he was a great Torah scholar. He was the head of the Sanhedrin and also a great warrior. Those are the days where, you know, like Moshe Rabbeinu, the head of the Sanhedrin is also the head of the army. Now, I don't know how that will play out today. I don't see it playing out today, but you never know. Mashiach will come and it will go back to being like that that the heads of the Sanhedrin will be the heads of the army, the heads of the air force will be the heads of the Sanhedrin. Hard to imagine, okay? The chief rabbi will be the head of the air force. I don't know. How, how does that play out? I, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, so it's interesting that Yoav was very righteous. The Psikta Rabati says he was a great Torah scholar. He was the head of the Sanhedrin, in addition to being a great warrior. The Gemara says he was also very generous. This is Sanhedrin, page 49A. You can look it up. he's very generous he would give tremendous amounts of food to the poor. However, Yoab had a long and complicated relationship with David. So he was a nephew of David. He's called Yoab ben Seruya, which is interesting because Surya was, Surya was not his father's name. It's very unusual that a person is called after his mother. Yoab ben who who is Surya? Surya was David Amelach's sister. So why is he called Yoab ben Surya? Because if it was his father's name, no one would recognize him but he gave his mother's name. My mother is your sister. Listen, when you deal with me, remember, I'm your nephew. I'm related to you, David. I'm your Ben Surya. I'm related to you. And when anyone else would talk to me, he said, who are you? He says, I am David Ameleth's nephew. My mother is Seria. He would not talk about his father. I don't know if we know who his father was, but his mother's name was Seria. That was his mother's name. And she was the sister of David. That was the sign of the importance of your. He was from a royal family. That was his claim to fame. It's from a royal family. And Yoab and David had a mutually beneficial relationship for a very long time. And at times, it was excessive. Let's talk about it. So, so number one, is the Gemara says, and this is also in Sanhedrin 49.8, the Gemara says, Yoab was the general of David. And it was the merit of David's Torah learning. We don't think of David Amel as a Torah scholar. David Amel was a tremendous Torah scholar, which he attained at a later age. Obviously, in his youth, he was a shepherd. He didn't have time to learn Torah. I don't know. It's very strange because he, he wrote some of his psalms at a very early age when he wasn't really educated, but he was educated spiritually, it seems. He had this kind of spiritual, I don't know, sixth sense probably. I don't know how much he got from his parents because he was out in the fields most of the time. But uh, he had the sixth sense of purity of character to, to, to praise God. So some of his songs were tremendous praises of God written in the fields, looking after the sheep, looking at the stars. You know, marabu ma'asecha Hashem, how great it works, Hashem. Kulam This ma'azita. This is his pure character coming out, looking at the stars and praising God. But later on, he only became a Torah scholar later on when he became a king. And it's interesting, it is, when he was a king, he started learning with the Beit Din and trying to see how to judge the people. He wanted to judge the people, so he became a tremendous Torah scholar. And it says many people would teach him, like, for example, Mefi Mephibosheth, who was the son of uh, Yonatan. Mephibosheth. Why is it called Mephibosheth? It says, Mephibosheth. From his, from his mouth came shame. What does that mean? It says David HaMelech was embarrassed every time Mephibosheth would correct him. So from the mouth of Mephibosheth came shame. David HaMelech was learning he had the humility to be a king and be a, a, a scholar and be a student at the same time. It's hard to be a king and a student. He's got to accept that there's other people out there more knowledgeable than him until he became one of the top scholars. David Aminah became one of the top scholars. It says, David Aminah's Torah gave victory to Yoav as the general. So Yoav was the general, David was the scholar. David's learning provided Yoav with the victories. And then the Gemara twisted around and said, without Yoav going to fight, David al-Melech would have no time to learn. So it was, Yoav took this responsibility of David. If it wasn't for Yoab going and being a general, being a victorious general, being a tremendous general, David al-Melech would have no time to learn. He'd be out there fighting the wars and the front lines, which he did at the early point of his life. But you see, the, the relationship was a mutually successful relationship at the beginning, a tremendous relationship. Yoav would go and fight, David and Melech would go and learn, and they would help each other to be successful in everything they did. And Yoav's extreme dedication to David, we're going to talk about, we talk about Bathsheba, was apparent also in the story of Bathsheba, with a little exception over there, that uh, David tells Yoav, as a general, go and put Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, in the front lines. And Yoav does not argue, which the rabbis say he was wrong. He should have argued. He said, David, I can't do it. I'm not going to transgress the Torah for you. I'm not going to put uh, Uriah in danger, which he doesn't deserve. And uh, he did it anyway. Why? Because tremendous dedication to David. And he followed David's orders, even though it seems to contradict what the Torah says. And we see the extent of Yoav's loyalty to David, even when it was sometimes unjustified. On the other hand, we see that also Yoav acted against the wishes of David sometimes. And it seems to be he deliberately acted against the uh, will of David. For example, when he killed Avner Ben-Ner, David Amalek wanted to talk to Avner Ben-Ner. Avner Ben-Ner was the general of King Saul, tremendous, mighty warrior, even more mighty than Yoab. And uh, Avner Ben-Ner has the good of Israel in mind. He comes to David, he says, listen, let's make peace between you and the sons of Shaul. And you will be the king. I'll get the sons of Shaul, because he was the power behind the throne of the sons of Shaul, of Ishboshet. I will make him make peace with you, and you will be the king of Israel. And David was interested and he wanted this to happen. He didn't want to fight Ishboshet. He didn't want more bloodshed. And Yoav comes along. Yoav wasn't there. And Yoav hears what happened. And Yoav tricks Abner Benner and he kills Abner Benner. He has Abner ner killed. That was the first time we see Yoav. Deliberately going against David's wishes. and uh, that, uh, But it was for good intentions. He had good intentions. He thought Abner Ben was a spy. He thought Abner Ben Nair could not be trusted. Abner Ben was a, a confidant of King Saul. King Saul was dead, but Abner Ben Nair had the best interests of Saul's descendants and not of King David. He said Abner Ben is going to double cross David. He had good intentions, but David Amirath did not. So you see, so the king, he, did, he respected the king David, but he did not have respect for David's common sense. That's what it seems. David al is a great king. I'll support him, but when I think that David al is making the wrong moves, I'm going to act. We're going to see that's exactly what propelled Yoab to disobey David in many cases. So Yoab killed Abner against David's will. David was so angry with Yoab. He curses Yoab, terrible curses, and he ordered Yoab and the people to mourn for Ab-nir-b-nir. Many years later, during the rebellion of Afshalom, which is David's favorite son, his beloved son, Afshalom. Boy, boy, boy. It's very hard to imagine how much David loved his son, Afshalom. Um, and I don't know how, how you know, he wasn't really rewarded for that love in terms of Afshalom, uh, giving it back to David. He never got any love back from Afshalom. In fact, what he got was hatred and disobedience. Terrible, 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 terrible. But nevertheless, David loved his son Absalom. He ordered the army. Absalom rebels against David. He orders his army I don't want anyone to kill my son Absalom. Take him alive. Take him alive. So, what happens is, Absalom is riding with his donkey and he's leading his men through the jungle, this forest. And he had beautiful long hair because he was a Nazarite. He would cut his hair once a year and he uh, took great. Pleasure in his hair, and he, he took great pride in his beautiful hair, his long hair. And the wind came, blew up his hair, and they caught him on the tree, on the branch of the tree, and he was hanging on the tree. And his donkey had walked away, just uh, gone away, and he's just hanging over there by the tree. And who finds him over there is Yoab, the general of David. Now, Yoab knows full well the king said not to kill his son, shalom. take him alive. He had an opportunity to cut him down and take him alive and end the war, instead of which takes his seven darts and he pushes it through Absalom's heart and he kills Absalom. bye 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 bye. so here we have classic this is yoav disobeying david and completely disobeying david he kills the son of david abshalom and what happens is david is in tremendous mourning and uh, the people see david mourning even though they won the war they they beat abshalom was fighting against david he wanted to kill his father and they would think, you know, David would be happy. He got rid of his enemy, his son, his enemy. And David is mourning for Absalom. And he says, I wish I would die instead of you, Absalom, my son, Absalom, my son, Absalom. He's praying for Absalom, which we have to talk about a bit more because the rabbi says he was praying for Absalom to go up from hell into heaven. All his prayers, like every step, he's praying, Absalom, my son, Absalom, my son, Absalom. Every time he's praying, my son, Absalom, he's trying to raise him up spiritually in the world above. From heaven to from hell to heaven. So obviously, there's deeper things going on in, in David Amena's prayer for his son of Shalom. Uh, but anyway, so uh, Yoab sees the people are very depressed because the king is very sad. They won the war, but the king is depressed. What's the use of that? So he goes and he gives David Musar what are you doing, you know, you're you're crazy, what's going on, the people fought for you, and they they gave blood for you, and you're you're mourning your son, the the evil traitor who betrayed you, and they they won the war for you, go and talk to them, go and praise them. And David goes and praises the the war, the the army who fought the battle for him. So interesting how, you see, Yoab would sometimes would disobey David, totally disobey David. And uh, even though Yoab was the best supporter of David, but we find the last mistake of Yoab was the, the third and final mistake. The major mistake was when Yoab sees David this week, just towards the end of David's life, he's 70 years old and he was in bed and a and, and bedridden, and couldn't really fulfill his duties as a king. And here we have another son of David who wants to be the king, Adoni Adonijah wants to be the king. Yahweh invites all the greats, Assistance of David to come to his big party of his coronation. And who's there? Yoab is there. The high priest is there. And they're anointing Adoniyahu. That was the final insult to David. Here's David. He's the king. And they're anointing his son Adoniyahu in front of him. His very eyes. Okay. He was in bed, but he heard about it. And against his wishes, because David wants Shlomo to be the next king. And Joab is there. And joining the rebellion of Adolyahu against against David. So can okay, imagine so what's going on over here? Why is David? So Yoav really had the best interest of the Jewish people. Joab wanted to see the Jewish people led by a strong king. Yoav did not want any divisions in the kingdom. He saw Abner Bene was a threat. Abner Bene could have been a spy. Abner Benner could have been a traitor. And David's going to appoint Abner Berner as the general. Imagine instead of him, he knows I am loyal and Abner Berner is suspect. Why should he be the general? I'm, I've got the best interest of the kingdom in that mind. So he kills Abner. And then he sees Afshalom. Afshalom is a threat. He knows David has a, weak, a weakness when it comes to Afshalom. David loves Afshalom to the nth degree. And even though Afshalom rebelled, obviously David's going to forgive him. And you know what's going to happen? Absalom one day is going to kill David. He sees Afshalom as a threat. David can't see it. David is blind. He's blind by his love for his son. So Yoav goes and kills Absalom. He says he's a threat to the kingdom. And then when David was old and David lost his power, Yoav saw that as a threat to the kingdom as well. Yoav says, you know what, how can this poor, young, uh, old man, this uh, bedridden old king rule the kingdom? And this young Shoma Melech was only seven years old, how can he rule this kingdom? This kingdom is a vast kingdom now. We conquered all these tribes that you have himself conquered, you know, Moab, Ammon, uh, Edom, parts of Syria. They, they have this tremendous uh, kingdom now. We need a strong, young, dynamic king. So he went with Adoriyah. That was the mistake. But he had the best intentions. That's what propelled you So you have, we can understand. You have had the best interest of the kingdom. And when David was strong, he had the best interest of David in mind. Sometimes David cannot see. And you have knew he could see more than David and and Yoab acted on his instincts. So that was uh, Yoab, again, very hard time for David. He couldn't take on the power of Yoab, he said. Yoab was just sons of his sister. He had four powerful sons, all parts of David's army that he just couldn't take them on. They were just strong. They were stronger than him. He couldn't take them on. So that's what he says. He tells the people, they're too strong for me. I can't handle them. So anyway, uh, then we find a terrible story, terrible story of David and his son Ammon. Amnon and Tamar, Amnon, his son, his oldest son, who is going to be next in line, unfortunately. Here we are. Amnon, the oldest son of David, the spoiled brat. You know, it's interesting. The Gemara says that David never rebuked his children. We have no messages, no recorded learning at all of David rebuking his children. He was a father who loved his children to the nth degree, but sometimes we can spoil our children. That's what happened over here. We see with Amnon, Afshalom, they were spoiled brats. They really were brats. They were sons of the king. They were princes. They probably had their own palaces. They probably had their own fun and games and money and food and whatever they had. And David was maybe he was too busy with the affairs of state, obviously, busy person doesn't have ch- time for their children. And they were raised by their parents, uh, by their mothers usually. So, Chilab, who had a good mother, Abigayah, who was a Sedeq and also a prophetess. Obviously, Chilab was the, one of the best sons. Shoma Melech was raised by his mother. But Teva was, obviously, she was a big righteous individual. Let's talk about that later on. And so, they were the successful ones. The successful ones were the ones who had good mothers who could raise them well because their father never had time for them. That's unfortunate. David never had time for his son, Amnon. And Amnon, Amnon fancied his half-sister. Now, it's interesting because this girl was not even a half-sister. She was a Giorit. Amnon and Tamar. Tamar, Tamar was a relationship of David with what's called uh, Ishaya Fatoh, which is in the wars. You're allowed to take this beautiful girl. You can take her once, We're going to Rambam, and that's it. And then she has to convert. So she sits in the house, and she mourns for her parents, and she mourns for idolatry, and if she wants to convert. After thirty days, she becomes Jewish, and then you can marry her. And this was the mother of um, Amnon uh, of Tamar. Her name was Ma'acha. She was the daughter of a, queen, of a king, and Ma'acha was the mother of uh, Tamar, and Tamar was the daughter of Ishaya Fatuar. She was beautiful. Tamar was gorgeous. And uh, she converted to Judaism. The mother was a Jewish at that time. And uh, Amnon, the oldest son of David, wanted to marry her. Now, he could have married her. He wasn't related to her at all. He could have married her. But instead of marrying her, he made a tremendously big mistake, which was uh, an idea was planted into his head by an evil person who the, the Torah calls one of the relatives of David, Yehunadav. His name was Yehunadav, a disaster. An incredibly evil person who advised Amnon, he said, you fancy, your, your, you look so sick. Why you look so sick? So Amnon tells him, to my, my, my sister, I, I love this girl. She's not really my sister. So he says, why don't you ask David? Why don't you ask, ask your father? He'll give it to you. He'll let you marry her. No, no, I don't marry her. I just want to fool around with her. Disgusting. So what does he do? So this Yonadav gives advice, pretend you're sick. And say, you know, I I, um, I don't I can't eat anymore. My my I lost my appetite. And ask the king to send your sister Tamar, who's not really related to him, to feed you, to to cook for you and feed you. So he asked this king. Obviously, the king concerned the eldest son is sick and he wants Tamar, his sister, to come and look after him. And so he sends Tamar. Tamar goes to Amnon, and Amnon rapes her. Basically, he tries to rape her. And the rabbi say, which fits in very nicely with the text, because after he raped her, he hated her, and he threw her out of the house. So the rabbi say, you know what? He was unsuccessful. Not only was he unsuccessful in raping her, he damaged himself. That's why he hated her so much. He, he caused, he inflicted on himself injury, and that's why he hated her. That answers a lot of questions, but the text does not say that. The text says he hated her. It doesn't say why. Uh, but, you know, you can understand that in a simple way because once a person has has uh, used up all their passion. After that, there's no love left. You, know, you just desired her to use her, but you didn't really love her. That was the point. And she says, listen, you have to marry me because, you know, the law is if you rape a woman in Israel, you have to marry that woman, you're not to divorce her. Um, that was really the halakha. And he just threw her out the house and locked the door. And, and she, she ripped her clothes. Here's the daughter of, of King David, ripped her clothes, put ashes on her head and started mourning for herself. And Afshallah, her brother, takes her in, says, my daughter, don't cry. It's a shame, embarrassment for all of us. Come to my house. It says she stayed in this house all her life. She never got married. That's that's part of the story that we know. We don't know the rest of the story, obviously. The problem is that David al-Melech never once rebuked known for this. We don't find him getting involved. We don't find anything. And what happens later on is Tamara's Half brother Afshalom goes and exacts vengeance on Amnon, kills Amnon. Can you imagine? Afshalom kills Amnon. Again, the king does not tell Afshalom anything, but he banishes Afshalom. I don't want to see your face, get out of here. He banishes Afshalom, and Afshalom is so tricky, and he fools the king after a couple of years, and he gets back into the king's graces. Despite having killed his own brother, imagine. I mean, this, these are intrigues in the house of David. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnyTime.com.